Chapter 1 First Day of the End of the World You know you've reached rock bottom when you're standing on a beach, looking to the horizon, and you don't notice you're ankle deep in dead fish. If I'd been there ten minutes earlier, the water would be up to my shoulders. Now I was at the top of a wet, sloping plain. It was littered with rocks, ropes, bottles, crabs, fish, a massive but motionless shark, and the rotted hull of an old shipwreck. Our tropical island had shot upward like an express elevator. Ten minutes ago, King Ular of Atlantis had opened a rift in time which, according to legend, would make the great continent rise again. But I wasn't really thinking about legends right then, because when he jumped into that rift, he took Allie Black with him. One minute there, the next minute, boom, down and gone, back into time, back to Atlantis. Losing Allie was like losing a part of myself. So on the first day of the end of the world, I, Jack McKinley, felt like someone had reached down my throat and torn out my heart. Jack! Marco! Cass! Eloise! Mom! I spun around at her voice. She was back on the sandy part of the beach, glancing over her shoulder. Behind us, a group of frightened Massa soldiers streamed out of the jungle. Marco Ramsey, Cass Williams, and his sister Eloise were standing at either side of me. And that was when I began to notice the fish, because a really ugly one whipped my left ankle with its fin. They look nasty, Eloise said. They speak highly of you, Cass replied. Eloise looked at him, completely baffled. Who, the Massa? No, the fish, Cass said. Aren't you talking about the- I'm talking about those guys! Eloise said, pointing to the frantic soldiers. Do you hear Sister Nancy? I mean, Jack's mom? She's warning us to stay out of their way. From deep in the trees, I could hear the shrill screech of a poison-spitting visite, followed by the guttural cry of a soldier in great pain. The Massai headquarters was on the other side of the jungle, and their soldiers and scientists were running here to see what had happened. They'd felt the rumble, but they had no idea about the rift and about the monsters who had escaped. Ah, oh, man, what a trap, said Marco. Those critters, they're like, woohoo, Greek dinner, free delivery. Some of the Massa were laying their bloodied pals on the sand. Others were running in confusion and panic down the muddy, fish-strewn beach toward us. Some were barfing in the reeds, nauseated by the violent motion of the earth. Mom was trying to calm them all down, tell them what had happened in the caldera. She wore a Massa brown robe-like uniform, like something from a fashion catalog in 1643. The soldiers respected her, but they didn't know she was A, my mom, and B, a rebel spy. And Torquin, our beloved seven-foot bodyguard, was directly behind us, picking his nose, which he did when he was nervous. We watched Allie go, Jack, Cass said. What are we going to do? It was hard to think. 
there was another huge problem none of us wanted to talk about. Ular had taken the loculus of strength with him. If we didn't find all seven of the magic Atlantean loculi, our G7W gene would kill us on schedule by our 14th birthdays. So if even one loculus was missing, we were toast. The fish were distracting me now, and I pulled us all back onto more solid ground. As we moved, the Masa bellowed to each other, mostly in Greek. They were pushing and jostling, positioning themselves to ogle the shipwreck. Fifty or so yards down the muddy slope, the ship's remains rose out of the muck like a dinosaur skeleton. It canted to one side, its mast tilted and cracked. Seaweed hung from its crossbeams like long-forgotten laundry, and the wooden hull was lumped with barnacles. Weirdly, after more than a century underwater, the ship's name was still visible on the hull. The Enigma.